in for him this morning. In fact, I laughed because he texted me about 15 minutes ago. He says, you got me covered this morning, right? And I probably should have texted back and said, no, I don't. So you're on your own. Figure out how to live feed you from Georgia. Uh, glad you're here this morning. We are going to be in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Just one verse today. Uh, and we're going to talk about running your race. Uh, the Bible is, is so neat because the Bible gives us a lot of different metaphors, it gives us stories, it gives us what we call parables, earth, you know, earthly stories with heavenly meanings, and the Bible gives us uh, things that help us to understand, to help us to picture how our life should be. And one of the neat things that the Bible does, it talks about running races. And back in the day when this was written, that was very popular. Olympic games were going on. Uh, men ran for great prizes. And so when, when the author here of Hebrews talks about running a race, uh, everybody could immediately identify with running a race. Some of you may have been runners. Um, I, I never was a runner. Well, let me rephrase that. I ran in wrestling, but it wasn't because I wanted to, because I had to lose weight. But some people are in track, they're in marathons, things of that nature. Uh, and so I, we can understand the concept of running. So right here towards the end of Hebrews, uh, the author gives us the illustration of running a race. And so he starts off in Hebrews chapter one saying this, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The first thing we want to look at, he says, he says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, you just have to understand that chapter 12 follows chapter 11. And in chapter 11 of Hebrews, it gives us some incredible people of faith in the Bible. And we're not going to go through all of those this morning. We're just going to go through some of them. But you have to understand, we are following the train of thought. And so what the author here is saying, the reason why I say author, we really don't know who wrote Hebrews. Sounds a lot like a Pauline epistle, but because Paul does not identify himself at the very beginning of Hebrews, we cannot really assume that he wrote that. But it sounds a lot like Paul. So if he, he hear me say the author, it's because we really don't know who wrote Hebrews. But the author tells us here, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, and he's saying, who are these great cloud of witnesses? And then he's going to give us uh, of the following of them. So let's go back. So the first one we're going to look at is Noah. Noah was a neat man. And one of the things we learned about Noah was that Noah preserved, uh, he persevered through the culture that mocked him, that ridiculed him, and never believed in him. So here you have a man that loves the Lord. And for 120 years of his life, he did his very best to tell people about God's love. He did his very best to tell people about God's coming judgment. But the problem was the things that he was talking about had never happened before. So just imagine being Noah for a minute. Could you imagine building a boat in the middle of the desert and telling people that it's going to rain when it had never rained? Telling people that there's going to be a flood when there never had been a flood. It would almost be like you coming up here this morning and saying, hey, God's given me a vision that I need to build an outdoor ice skating rink at the back of River of Life. And we would say, you've lost your mind. 
it hasn't snowed here in forever and if it does drop below 32 don't worry by the afternoon it'll be up to 70 because that's just florida we would all think that you've lost your mind well here's a man that had enough faith in his god that regardless of how much the culture mocked him ridiculed him persecuted him he kept his faith in the lord to know that whatever god said was true and that God fulfilled his promise. God was not fast to fulfill his promise, but then again, when you're building a boat that's about you know, 400 yards long, about 80 feet tall, it's, and you don't have you know, equipment and cranes and scaffolding, you know, it's going to probably take you 120 years to build it. Especially when there's only really four of you, you and your three sons, probably had the daughter-in-laws help out a little bit, so it took him a while. But what you need to understand is that this wasn't something that God told him on Monday and by Wednesday night it was taken care of. This was something that God told him and it took over 120 years for this thing to take place. But Moses, Noah was a great man of faith because he believed what God told him and regardless of what the culture told him, he never veered from that. He persevered and did what God told him to do. And so for us this morning... Uh, there are times when we're going to have to step out and be bold in our commitment and our love to the Lord Jesus Christ. And even though the culture tells you exactly the opposite, we need to stand firm on what we believe and make it vocal. You have to understand, Noah just wasn't quiet. Noah had a responsibility. Noah's responsibility was to let the lost world know that there was a coming judgment, there was a coming flood, and to turn their hearts to the Lord. We know that he never won a convert. It's our responsibility, rather than to ridicule and mock our culture, to pray for them, explain to them God's love and God's judgment so eventually they'll get the picture and come back to him. So here's our first man of great faith, Noah. Abraham. Abraham, who is the father, as we we know. You know, Abraham had to leave his home his comfort zone, and he had to move. Now, that seems really easy to do, but if God ever told you to move and he didn't tell you where you were moving to just to set out and start going, could you do that? Because, see, that's what he told Abraham. Abraham, you're going to get ready to move. Where am I moving to? Well, I'm not going to tell you that yet. You just start moving and we'll figure that out. Could you imagine going home today and telling, telling your family, hey, we're moving. Well, where are we moving to? I don't know. We're just going to start heading west and we'll figure it out when we get there. Could anybody do that? Y'all are brave. I could not. Man, I'm the guy that always has to know what's going on next. You know, everything has to be right in a row. And and I could not imagine saying, we're going to move. I just don't have a clue where. That's what he had to do. Well, then, not only that, now he's 100 years old. And God had already promised him years earlier that he was going to have a child that would be his offspring. Could you imagine being 100 years old and now becoming a father? But Abraham had that belief. He, he stepped outside of his comfort zone to move. He had great faith to know that God can do the impossible in his life. And because of that, he's known as a man of great faith. So for us this morning, what we need to understand is that every now and then God wants to move you outside your comfort zone. God's going to tell you to start going But he's not going to tell you where point number two is at because he wants to see if you'll leave point one to start moving to point two. 
And when you finally get there, he'll show you where point two is at. Not only that, God sometimes is going to make you go outside every physical, logical, rational reason there is to do what he wants you to do. You say, God, I'm too old. I can't do that. Never tell God you're too old. After all, if Abraham was 100 and just became a father, and we're not going to talk about him this morning, but if Moses was 80-something before he ever started his first ministry, you are not too old. You are just where you need to be. And so we say, since we're so, you know, we're surrounded by a great crowd. Well, who are we surrounded by? We're surrounded by a man who persevered through his culture, though he mocked him. We're surrounded by a man who left his comfort and moved forward. We're surrounded by a man who never lost his trust in the Lord, despite all the tragedies in his life. Joseph. And Daniel are the only two main characters in the Bible that nothing ever negative is said about them. No sin is ever mentioned. Joseph was the man with the coat of many colors we read about. Jacob's son that Jacob loved so much. You know, and Joseph had these dreams and he shared these dreams with his brothers. And of course, they got mad and they said, let's kill him. Like, no, we better not kill him. Let's just sell him. And so they sold him into slavery. Could you imagine? I understand if you have brothers and sisters, there have been times death has come into the picture. And there have been times you wish you probably could have sold them away to somewhere else so they didn't have to live with you, right? They sell him to a foreign nation as a young man, young teenage boy. And so he's faithful. He never loses his faith in the Lord. And now all of a sudden he's a hard worker. He begins to gain status with, with Potiphar, I mean with Pharaoh. And all of a sudden now Pharaoh's wife starts hitting on him and she because he loves the Lord and he won't submit to her Temptation. Now he gets thrown in the prison for two years. Here's a guy that was sold into slavery by his brothers, had to work his way up, now is in prison, and now he finally reaches the status of where he needs to be that God wants to use him. But what you have to understand is that he never lost his faith in the Lord, regardless of how bad his life had become. And so for us, we have to never, ever lose our faith and our trust and our fellowship of the Lord, regardless of how bad life is. Now, I understand some of you have had probably a rough upbringing in life. But typically, if you look around other people, they're probably worse off than you. So it's not as bad as you think. It's always worse. And what we need to see from Joseph was that despite all the circumstances, he never lost his faith in the Lord. Well, the next one's Joshua. Here's a young man that now takes over uh, leading the children of Israel into the promised land. He comes to Jericho and Jericho is a mighty city. In fact, the walls are thick enough that they can ride chariots around the top of it. How are we going to defeat this nation? God, you told us this is the land we're going to encounter. How will we defeat that? And it's interesting. God says, well, here's what I want you to do for six days. I just want you to walk around and be quiet. Some of us would have never made it, would we? We'd have, we'd have failed from the start. I, me, hard. That's why I can't hunt, because I can't stay quiet long enough. So we're going to walk around the cities for six days, not say a word. And the reason why they didn't say a word, because God knew there would be negativity spoken. You mean to tell me we're going to walk around this concrete wall for six days and God's going to drop it? You've lost your mind. But of course, they follow the Lord's leadership through Joshua. Seventh day, they walk around, blow the trumpets, and the wall falls. Because of his faith in the Lord, because of him not doubting the Lord and his obedience to the Lord, the walls in his life 
came tumbling down. So you may have a lot of walls in your life today. You say, brother, I've got a lot of walls in my life. There's a wall right now I can't overcome. All I can tell you is that if you'll be faithful to the Lord, you will trust him and not be negative and speak death into your life, but be positive. The wall will come down. How about Samson? Samson's an interesting fellow. Even though he failed the Lord and was in turmoil, he was used by the Lord. So here's a guy that was an Nazarite. He should never cut his hair or drink strong drink, but through the temptation of a woman and through just the, the overbearing of a woman, he finally gives in and says, listen, the strength of me is my hair. If you cut my hair, I lose my strength. And he did. They cut his hair, lost his strength, because that was the one thing he was never supposed to reveal. That was his and his intimate with the Lord, but he did. And so now he's in trouble. And if you go back and read Judges 16, it's pretty neat. He literally says, Lord, and he, he, I'm paraphrasing this, God, if you'll just hear me one last time, God, would you give me the strength that I could take down these heathens that you so much do not like? And the Lord gives him strength. He pushes down the pillars. In fact, it said he killed more men on that day that he died than, any other, than, in, than all of his life together. But here's a man that had everything he could want. He was a good-looking guy, strong guy. I mean, he had everything, but because he fell to sin, he was in turmoil, but through his dedication and perseverance to the Lord, God used him one last time. Sometimes we have things that keep us away from the Lord. Sometimes we have things that we have fallen, and and we can't allow those things to stop us. Um, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we're, none of us are any different. And so here's a guy that did that very thing, but yet God used him. Well, how about David, a small shepherd boy? The story of David is he had older brothers and, and of course, Samuel was looking for the next king and he went through all the brothers and because they were big, tall and strong. And he's like, well, Lord, this doesn't make any sense. One of these should be the king. And, and, and the Lord said, no, there's one more. And that's when he asked, hey, do you have another son? And I said, oh, yeah, David, he's out keeping sheep. And here's this little young teenage boy that comes up. And immediately the Lord said, that's the king. He's your next king. And of course, now we have a battle against Goliath. And Goliath's head and shoulders above everybody else. But because David had already fought lions and David had fought other things, David said, I come to you in the name of the Lord. And that day, the Lord gave Goliath into David's hands. Giants in his life. Uh, you may be facing some giants today. Some things that you feel like I cannot overcome by myself. Well, don't worry, you can't. But through the Lord's leadership and through his love and through his strength, he will give you the discernment. He will give you the direction. He will give you the strength to be able to overcome the giants in your life. Just like David, remember, you are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And so we have to go back and say, well, now, God, if you, if you could give Abraham that faith to step out on his own, not knowing where he was going to go, or give him the faith to know that even though he was an old man, he'd still have a child. God, if you could give, you know, Samson the strength, Lord, if you could give Joshua the ability, then God, you can do that for me, because that's what this is about. This is... The Bible speaking to us to say there are stories in God's word that aren't just stories. 
There are stories to help us, to encourage us, to motivate us, to let us know that we have a gift called faith. And if we use our faith and walk in the love and the admonition of the Lord, we can do some great things. Well, here's one that may not be too familiar. His name is Jephthah. You say, Jephthah, never heard that guy before. He's in, he's in Judges, so don't worry. And Jephthah basically was the son of a prostitute. Okay? Jephthah's brothers did not like him at all. In fact, they said, listen, you are the son of a prostitute. You ever read the book, The Scarlet Letter? This is like this guy here. Everybody that knew him knew that he was the son of a prostitute. Therefore, he was not looked with high regards. He wasn't looked with a lot of, with a high esteem. And so imagine being Jephthah growing up and everybody looking down on you because your dad had, had relations with a prostitute and now you're born. But what's interesting is that God used the son of a prostitute and he learned to ignore his past and became a ruler of Israel. In fact, the Bible says he ruled Israel for six years. Here's a guy that had basically no education, no pedigree in his life, but God used him to rise the occasion to reign and rule Israel for six years. Which tells me and you that you may not be the most educated, you may not be the most eloquent speaker, you may not be the best looking. You, you, there's a lot of things you say, I may not be, but it doesn't matter. Because as God used Jephthah, He can use you and he can use me. And of course, you're probably familiar with Rahab. Rahab was a harlot. You know, sometimes the Bible, you can read the Bible and you go, that's interesting. Or you go, hmm, I would have never imagined this in the Bible. So the spies are going out to spy the land. And the people in the land find out that they're spying out the land. Well, they appear at Rahab's house, a prostitute. Well, she hides them. Knowing that if they find them at her house, they will kill her. But see, Rahab had enough trust in the Lord. Rahab had enough understanding who God's men were that despite her lifestyle and despite her reputation and despite maybe even the outcome of getting caught, she protected the spies. And because when they went in to destroy the city, they saved her life. A prostitute. See, God can use anybody and everybody he so chooses. We just have to learn to have the faith to trust him and know what he's doing around our life. This one's a little, stretches me a little bit, because I always think about God using godly people to do godly things, and yet he uses a prostitute, because it doesn't say she was a former prostitute. It says she was a prostitute. Now, here's what's really bad about that. To this day, what do we know her as? A prostitute. We don't really know her as this wonderful woman that saved the spies going into the promised land that allowed Israel to move in. We just know her as the prostitute that God used. And sometimes our past will taint us and we'll be labeled for life. But don't let that label stop you or hinder you. Know that regardless of the label in your life, God can still use you, period, as he used her. Last, how about Jacob? You know, Jacob was a liar. (laughs) He was a very deceitful man. He deceived his brother. He deceived his father. I mean, Jacob was just a full-blown liar. But he had an encounter with the Lord one night in the wilderness, and he would not let go of the Lord until God blessed him. 
And then Jacob became the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. Although he started rough in life, and, and although his, his upbringing wasn't the best, because he had an encounter with the Lord, it changed everything. And when he had that encounter with God, his whole life changed and he never looked back. And sometimes it doesn't matter how we've started in life. If we'll have that encounter with God and let God change our life, man, life gets good. So there are a lot more mentioned in Hebrews 11 than I'm not going to mention this morning. But what I want you to see is the Bible says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and, and I've just given you a few examples this morning to give you an idea that there are a lot of different people that come from different cultures, come from different backgrounds, have different upbringings, that God used every last one of them. And all they had to do was to trust him and walk with him. Well, there's, there's a few more witnesses that are encouraging this morning. How about angels? We are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Well, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 12, 22, later on in this chapter, know you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. Countless, and that's the key, countless. In other words, there are so many that we can't count them. Revelation. I looked again and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels. So in this very place right now, because you're human, there are countless angels in this building right now. And these angels are in here for us. This is what it tells us in Matthew. Beware that you don't look down on any of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels are always in the presence of my heavenly Father. Which tells us that you could say this is you have a guardian angel. Now, I don't know if some of you are working your guardian angels over or not. You're wearing them out because of all the crazy things you're doing. But here's what we do know. That we have countless thousands of heavenly beings that are watching us each and every day. They are sent by the Lord to tell us things. They're sent by the Lord to help us do things. They're sent by the Lord to protect us. They're sent by the Lord to watch over us. Well, just real quick, you have to understand that angelic beings have a free will. I mean, they have a free will to do what they want to and what they don't want to, because we realized that when the angels fell from heaven. So I want to stretch your imagination a little bit this morning. So if I've got angelic beings that are here to help me, to protect me and watch over me. And, and Dallas has angelic beings that are here to help him, to assist him. Did I hear an amen? Oh, you don't have any. I thought someone said amen, he needs him. No. <laughs> so if Dallas has them, don't you think they sit together and they talk? Hey, have you seen what Dallas has been doing lately? Hey, have you seen what Chuck's been doing lately? See, they're, they're, they, they want to, they're encouraging you because they want to, they want to be able to report back to Father and say, Hey, you know, your child that you sent me to help and watch over, they're doing a great job today. Man, you should have seen what they did today in the supermarket. Man, you should have seen what they did today at school, what they did today at work. They're talking. They're communicating because that's what they do. So what we need to understand is that there are numerous uncountable 
angelic beings that are not only here to minister to us and help us, but they're talking about us and they're talking about us back to the Father. So let's go back. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, what that means for us this morning is that wherever you're at in life, whether you're in the deepest valley of your life, whether you're on the peakest mountaintop of your life, that you're surrounded by a heavenly host, that you're surrounded, and I know like Abraham and, and Jacob and, and Noah and them aren't around us today, but their story is, their life is. And those stories and those encouragements should, and, and lifestyles should encourage you and me to live the same way. So when you and I pass on one day, what will they be saying about you? Will, will they talk about how well you play sports or will they talk about how well you, you love the Lord? Will they remember how, how much of a friend you were? Or will they remember how absent you were? Will, will, will they be talking about, you know, because it's funny, usually when you go to a funeral, and I've never been one that's any different, but everybody's always been a great person when they die. You ever go on a funeral and somebody's, somebody's bad? You know, everybody that dies is a wonderful person. Oh, best person ever. This guy was killed in a gang shot, but man, he was a great person. Well, how in the world did he get killed in a gang shooting if he was a great person? What will they say about you? Because see, your story is going to be the one that should encourage the younger generation to move forward. The things that you've done, the life that you lived, the lives that you impacted should be the ones that we're passing down to say, do you remember when? And allow them to encourage you. So here we have in Hebrews chapter 12. And what we're learning is that since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. So take a moment and think. Has there been somebody in your life that's really encouraged you in the faith? Has there been somebody in your life that really has taught you in the faith? And I could go on forever of the people who have encouraged me and taught me in my faith. Those people have been an impact in my life. And those are the things that encourage me to keep moving forward in my life. But now I want to do the same thing to encourage those around me to keep moving forward in their life. Because since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, well, let's move on. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight in sin which clings so closely. So we're told that we need to lay aside every weight and sin that so just entangles us, slows us down. This is how some of you look in your Christian life. Carrying a lot of baggage. You know, it's, it's hard to do things when you carry a lot of baggage. You ever watched anybody run a sprinter's race uh, with a backpack on or with armor on? Although I did read this week that there's a man that runs marathons in full armor. I'm not sure why. Runs, runs marathons, but usually marathons runners have those little skimpy shorts on. Have the little, now, not to, I don't want to gross you out too much. But see, back in the Bible days, they didn't have any clothes on when they ran. Because the less you had on, the faster you could be. That was just the way it worked. And what he's saying is, see, once again, he's given us the, the picture of a race. You're running a race. And if you're carrying around heavy duffel bags, if you're carrying around a lot of baggage in life, you can't be running the race very good, can you? I remember a few years ago, my, my daughter Carly said, 
Dad, do you think I'll go to college and, and for softball? I said, probably not. And she said, well, Dad, what do I need to do to go to college to, um, to really make it? I said, well, Carly, baby, you're going to have to lose a little bit of weight. You're a little overweight. And if, for those of you who don't know, before Carly came back, Carly was a little bit heavy. I said, if you want to really go to college and play ball, you're going to have to lose some weight. And I know when you lose some weight, it'll make a difference. So in between Carly's um, sophomore and junior year, she dropped about 30 pounds. And all of a sudden, Carly became extremely fast and extremely just agile and quick and elegant because she dropped 30 pounds. Think about that. If you're going to race me and I hand you a 30-pound weight, you're not going to run as fast as you can. It's, it's just the way it is. You, know, you never see people like me running the 100-yard dash, not unless there's a bear or a mean dog behind me. It just doesn't work. All those people that run these sprinters races or marathons are real, real what? They are thin because the less you weigh, the faster you'll be. The same principle applies for us in our Christian walk. The less weight we carry, baggage, the less hindrances and memories and and things we have in our life, the easier it's going to be to run the Christian life. And you get up in the morning and the devil immediately reminds you of things in your past or reminds you of things in your life right now or reminds you of things that you're going to encounter. And what that does, that just weighs you down. And rather than spending the day praising the Lord and ministering to people, you're too busy reflecting back on your past experiences, reflecting back on what happened and how God's never going to be able to use you and wishing you could do things different. Well, you've already, you've already committed. The past is done and over with. You can't go back and change it. So let's not worry about it. We got to move forward. And so let's real quick look at some, go back to the people we just talked about. So let's look at Jephthah. Do you realize Jephthah was the son of a prostitute? Everybody looked down on him because he was the son of a prostitute. And so what Jephthah had to overcome was his confidence problem in being a leader that everybody would look up to and overcoming all the insecurities that he thought everybody was talking about him. See, a lot of times you won't do things because you're afraid of what people are going to say about you. Well, you know, I'm, I'm not skilled enough to do that. Who says you're not? Who told you you're not? If God's telling you to do something, what He's going to do in your life is He's going to begin to prepare you. He's going to begin to educate you. He's going to begin to to mold you and make you into the person you're supposed to be. Period. But as long as the devil strikes that baggage in your life to say, listen, your upbringing was not the best. You came from a broken home or you came from a poor home or you came from the other side of the city, then see, God can never use you. And that's what Jephthah was like growing up. But once he learned that he could become the ruler and the leader of Israel, he he left all that behind him. He went to battle, won the battle, and became uh, Israel's leader for six years. So what that tells you and me this morning is that if you're struggling this morning with your confidence, wondering if you have the ability to do it, don't worry, you probably don't but God will give you the ability to do it. And through time, you will master what God wants you to master. If, if you're worried about being insecure, most every one of us are insecure. We're always insecure about how we teach and how we, how we do things. Don't worry. 
If God is leading you, walk that life of faith out and he will instill that truth in you to overcome that. Well, how about Rahab? Harlot, the reputation she had. Well, you know, I've got a reputation around here. Well, that's okay. Prove everybody your reputation's changing. I mean, come on, don't you imagine when all this was said and done, they said, they spared Rahab the harlot's life? I mean, come on, there had to be some good people in that city. Why Rahab? I mean, you, you, are you serious? The, the harlot, the prostitute was spared? Yes, why? Because she was bold enough to step out in faith to comfort and take care of God's men. We all have past. We've all got things that people may say about us. And it'll be okay. Do not worry about your past reputation. Let's begin to instill and change your future reputation so that people will see you different. Because it won't take you long. You start talking to each and every one of us. We've all got something. Skeletons in the closet. And everybody knows about some of our skeletons. It's okay. God wants to use your skeletons to show everybody how much he's changed you, how much he's loved you, and how much he's using you. And you've got to learn to do that. Well, how about Joseph? This is probably one of the most important ones of all. So here it is, the young man, you know, brothers hate him, don't like him, sell him into slavery, goes off to live in a foreign land, gets thrown in the prison. I mean, life is just horrible. I mean, we know from the time that Joseph went into slavery... To the, I mean, to the time Joseph's brother sold him till the time he got out of slavery and became the second person in command of Egypt was 13 years. 13 years of a horrible life, so to speak. And he never lost faith in the Lord. Never. We always complain about our past hurts. Well, you know, I had a bad divorce. You know, I had a bad upbringing at home. You know, I had a fired from a job once that wasn't even my fault. And we can go on and on and explain all of our bad tragedies in life. And what God wants you to understand this morning, you're no different than a lot of other people. I mean, think about this, this boy here, this young man. He never, according to the Word of God, we never know anything he did sin-wise, ever. Nothing's ever mentioned about, you know, you, re, you read about Abraham, he was a liar. Jacob was a liar. David you know, David had some things in his life. We'll see that in a minute. Every other great man in the Bible had some bad things about them. Joseph never did. So if anybody deserved to be treated fairly and rightly, it would have been him. But yet, he was treated probably the most harshly, him and Daniel. But he never allowed that to stop him. And what we need to understand, regardless of how bad our upbringing may be, or, or what happened at school, or here's the best one, church. You see this all the time. You know, I had a bad experience at church, so I'm never going to church again. You, you see that? I hear that quite often. Bad experience at church, I, I'm never going to church again. And, and I understand, if we, if we probably look around the building, all of us have probably had a bad experience at church. One way or another, we've probably gone to a church one time, and it's been bad. You know, you know why it's been bad? Because we're people, and people sometimes fail other people. Well... Anybody ever gone to a restaurant and got food poisoned? Raise your hand. Anybody ever got food poisoning? Boy, that's a rough experience. You know, did you quit eating? You just, you just quit going back to that restaurant, didn't you? Yeah. You know? Well, it's the same way. We've got to learn if we've gotten hurt in church or 
they weren't nice to me in this group or whatever. Listen, that's okay. So you had a bad experience. Put that in your brain to say, I'm going to make sure nobody else ever has that experience that I have and learn to treat and love people the way you want to be loved. Learn to get involved in things. Joseph had every excuse to tell God, there is no way I'm going to do anything for you because of all the bad things in my life. But he did just the opposite and God used him in a mighty way. How about Joshua? Joshua was Moses' man. And now he's got to step up into Moses' footsteps and his shoes and lead the children of Israel. So he had to follow into Moses. Could you imagine following into Moses' footsteps? You know, Moses never did that way, Joshua. You know, jo- Mo- come on, Joshua. Moses wouldn't have done it like that. You ever been there? Where you're having to take over somebody's spot and they're going to say, well, you're just not like them. But he learned to ignore that and say, God, you have put me in for such a time, for such a place, and I'm going to learn to move forward. You may have to take over the next boss's spot. You won't do it like him or her, and that's okay. And they'll tell you you're not like them. You say, you're right, I'm not, and that's okay. I'm going to do some things better, and I'll probably do some things worse. I I remember when I was um, stepping down here from youth pastor a few years ago, and, and Ryan Peck was taking my place. And one of the things I told the youth, I said, listen, there's some things Pastor Ryan's going to do that's going to be so much better than Pastor Chuck can do. That's just because who he is. I said, but then at the same time, there's going to be some things that Pastor Chuck has done that Pastor Ryan won't be able to do as good as me. It's because we're two different people. If you'll just learn to love him and follow him, it'll be okay. And what I want to encourage you is if you need to start a, a life group or you need to do something, don't worry about who did it before. God wants to use you and allow you to be used. Don't let somebody else's footsteps do that. Well, how about maybe broken vows? Here's David. So, you know, David was a man after God's own heart. But David not only broke his vows with his wife, um, he committed conspiracy and he committed murder. A guy after God's own heart. And if you read Psalms 51, David's pretty clear. He's, He's broken and he says, Lord, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. He begs God not to take the spirit from him. And he says, you know, Lord, forgive me so that I can teach transgressors your way. Once again, David could allow this experience in his life to keep him from being the man of God that he needed to be. But there was a downtime. But once David asked God for forgiveness and David started picking up life, life changed. What you've got to learn to do is not allow a broken marriage. You've got to learn not to allow broken vows or things in your life to keep you from doing what God wants you to do. That's why the author of Hebrews says, listen, we've got to learn to put down the baggage. You've got to, listen, it's done, it's over with. There's a time to mourn and there's a time to laugh. You, you've had enough time to mourn over this. You've had enough time to, to deal with this. Let's put it down and move on so that you can run the race of faith like God intended you to run. How about miserable failure? Samson was a miserable failure. We've all failed. Very first church I pastored, pastored for two years, and I could write a book on how not to pastor. And, and I probably could have stopped then and, and been done with it. But learned from my mistakes, and then I went on to pastor in another church for about 10 years, and it's doing great today. You learn from your mistakes. Do not let your failures keep you from moving forward. In fact, really, failures help you to move forward. 
Stephen Covey, the, the author of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, said, if you want an industry or you want your, your company to grow, increase your failure rate. Because if you're increasing your failure rate, that means you're trying new and different things every day. Well, I've never taught a life group. Well, try it. Well, I taught it and it failed. That's okay. Try it again. I've never done this for the Lord. Well, try it. If it fails, it's okay. Try it again. Increase the failure rate. Samson failed, but God used him. How about Gideon? Gideon doubted. We didn't study Gideon a few minutes ago, but Gideon, the Lord told Gideon what to do. He said, Lord, I'm not really sure about this, so how about tomorrow I'm going to put this fleece on the ground, and when I wake up, the fleece will be dry, the ground will be wet. And the Lord answered him. He said, okay, Lord, I'm still not sure. How about the next day, the fleece will be wet and the ground will be dry? And the ground was the same way. He said, okay, Lord, I get it. This is what you want me to do. He doubted what God told him. Sometimes we doubt. God tells us to do something, and we doubt, and we doubt, and we've got to learn not to doubt. We've got to learn to move forward. And of course, Jacob, the liar, the deceiver, you've got to learn your past is your past. Uh, we need to move forward. What I want to encourage you this morning is to understand, you are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. We've got to learn to drop the baggage in our life. Let it go and move on. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have made my own, but one thing I do, what? I forget what lies behind, and I'm straining forward to what lies ahead. Paul was a murderer. Paul was a racist. God changed his life. And Paul says, you know, when I go to minister to churches, I'm sure there are people in that church. I've killed their family members. But I've got to learn not to remember that. What I've got to learn is to share and show the love of God and the word of God that he's given me. And so what we've got to learn to do this morning is forget the past and move forward. And when the devil wants to remind you about your past, you say, nope, I clearly remember forgetting that. When the devil wants to remind you of the past, you simply remind him, I clearly remember forgetting that. I'm not going to allow that to hang over my head so that I cannot move forward. And of course, he tells us, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So we've got witnesses to encourage us to move us forward. He wants us to put away all the baggage that is slowing us down, that are keeping us from stepping out in life. And last, he said, you need to run that race that's set before you. Well, all of our races will not be the same. That's what 1 Peter 4.10 says. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's grace. God has given each and every one of us abilities. And he wants you to use your ability to not only further his kingdom, but bless your life. When you will use the gifts that God's given you. For instance, I, I don't have the gift of carpentry, and I'm not going to try it. It's okay. Uh, and I really don't have the gift of electronics. I'm, I just kind of manage to get through there. But I use the gift God's given me. God's given some of you gifts of, with your hands. He's given some of you the gift with your mouth to encourage people, to love people. Giving you the gift to pray. Giving you the gift to share. God's given each and every one of us a gift. And when we use our gift, man, not only are you going to be a happy person, not only are you going to be excited about life, but you're going to bless those around us. So the author of Hebrews says, listen, since we're surrounded by all of these people that are encouraging us and helping us to move forward, you've got to learn to forget your past. You've got to learn to shed all that weight out of your life. And you've got to learn to just pick up what God's given you and use your gift. So this morning, run your race. I don't know what your race will be. My race may be different from yours, but we're all running towards the kingdom. And God wants to encourage you this morning 
to run your race, not only so that it will bless your life, but it's going to bless the lives of those around you. And whatever you do, don't allow Satan to remind you of your past. You tell him, God's forgiven me. I clearly remember forgetting that. And God's going to use me and I'm going to bless people around me. Let's pray.